Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Welcome to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. One last time for the year. This is our last podcast for 2017. Before we start, let me remind you that you can download or stream this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cycling central from our website uh, sbs.com.au slash cycling central or by scheduling a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. Joining me today, we have a part of the usual and part of uh, some very special guests. Welcome, Dave McKenzie. Maka, how are you? I am very good and who would have thought I'd be in here, you know, what, the week of Christmas. We thought we'd have nothing to talk about. We've got plenty. Absolutely. My uh, my list of uh, points <laughs> has just been growing yes. over the last couple of days. Uh, and what a pleasure to have uh, Matthew Kinnan. Kino, thank you for coming and popping into the podcast. My pleasure. I'd like to be here under much duller circumstances. <laughs> really? <laughs> Obviously, we're going to talk about Chris Froome, I assume. Let's have a look. Chris Froome has failed a drugs test at the Vuelta España on the, the 7th of September this year. The cycling world has woken up the news that Chris Froome has failed a drugs test. British cycling is once again at the centre of a doping scandal. Contrôle antidopage jugé anormal, celui de Chris Froome. El positivo del ciclista británico Chris Froome de la Vuelta a España 2017. This is damaging. I mean, it's, it's come as a huge shock to me as well. But at the same time, I know that within me that fundamentally I've, I've followed the protocol. I have not stepped up, uh, overstepped any boundaries. I hope by the end of this process that, that will be, be clear to everyone and, and I'll be exonerated of any, any wrongdoing. Well, that's uh, basically a, a creative uh, recreation of me flicking through uh, the channels uh, last week, uh, switching on the TV and finding out about all these controversy around Chris Froome. Uh, who in their right mind would have thought from last podcast that in this edition, the last podcast of the year, we would be talking about a potential controversy with Froome. Today, we have uh, Bridie O'Donnell joining us as well. We'll talk about uh, the medical side of it. Hi, Bridie. Hi, how are you? Really good. <laughs> um, what a story we what do you make of it as a, as a medical doctor? There are even respiratory physicians who don't necessarily endorse the idea of exercise-induced asthma, but certainly we know a lot of elite athletes have it. They get bronchospasm or a tightness in their chest or even a cough in response to exercise. And, of course, elite athletes are putting themselves under greater physiological stress and they're putting themselves in environments that the average person may not. So swimmers get a lot of asthma, road cyclists get a lot of asthma, and you could argue you're in a colder environment, your immune system is slightly compromised, and you're a skinnier, you know, leaner person on the edge of their health more so than an average fitness person. So 
the rates are ridiculously high in elite athletes, but it's not unusual for a Tour de France rider to have asthma. You've answered my question. That was going to be my question. It feels like there's a higher proportion of elite athletes, world-class athletes with asthma than what there is in the general population. My kids, who are five and seven, they don't have asthma, so I hope they're really good at ball sports. <laughs> well, in fact, um, people get into sport often. Kieran Perkins got into to swimming because, because of, of asthma. asthma. Mm. So it's often a strategy that is used by a doctor in conjunction with a family to say, let's improve that that person's breathing, and we know that swimming's a great example of how to control your is, diaphragm. Is it the case for Froome? Do we know his uh, asthma history? Yeah, there have been examples of him actually applying for TUE for asthma. There's a famous photo of him in the Tour of Romedy in around about 2000, 13, where he's got the inhaler when he's actually in the race. And he made a statement throughout the Tour de France of a couple of years ago that he chose not to apply for TUE to use uh, asthma medication because of the furor that it would create. But the big one, Bridie, from a medical perspective, that everybody is asking the question, a lot of people would understand if Chris Froome was over by... 10%. 10%. If he was, the limit is 1,000 milligrams. If he was at 1,100 or 1,200, maybe even 1,300, there'd be a bit of forgiveness. But double the limit? Yeah. Double? I mean, how many how many puffs of the inhaler are you, do you need to have approximately? It's a great point, Mac. And look, there's been a fantastic paper written by Ross Tucker, who's a rather provocative sports scientist from South Africa, but he's really interested in doping and stories in and around clean and um, dirty athletes. He looked at um, the idea that there would be this documented salbutamol passport, if you like. You know, Froome has been tested so many times and he comments that he uses salbutamol inhaler all the time. So the UCI would have had historically thousands of tests and, and numbers from him. And clearly he's never violated that thousand nanogram per mil barrier yet. So he has to have doubled the maximum amount and or been excessively dehydrated. And yet he had an outstanding performance on that stage on the 7th of September. So there are so many red flags going off from a medical perspective in terms of the management of this. He talked about the fact that he's worried what people think when he uses inhaler, even though we all know that people take them on races. We've seen people in bunches when we go riding that say, I have asthma and they might use salbutamol. So often you have to worry, well, why are you so worried if you feel good about it? Is there another way you can take salbutamol other than the inhaler. There is indeed. So you would infuse it. And that, to me, again, this is only my um, observation, but to get a dose that's double the, the legal limit, the, the maximum limit, um, without knowing his historical data, shows that he has received an excessive input of salbutamol relative to the output in terms of the urine. So mm. it, it doesn't. He, he must have been puffing like bananas before the stage <laughs> and immediately before the drug test. Is to... that a medical term? Like- <laughs> Taking the medical out of it, and we're waiting to see what the outcome is with the case on Chris Froome, the damage is done. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Absolutely. Even if he is cleared, if he's exonerated, there's a certain amount of damage that is done. And it's just not to Chris Froome, again, it's to the sport. And the Tony, Tony Martin said this. Tony yes. Martin did, absolutely. So as soon as it happens, my phone is buzzing with requests for radio interviews. I don't get requests for radio interviews on that same day where Orica put out the statement that Caleb Ewan would be riding the Tour de France. Those two things happened on the same day. Nobody asked me any questions about Caleb. They only asked me about Chris Froome and they asked the question, why does this always happen in cycling? Mm. Now, if Chris Froome gets cleared, they won't be ringing me for that follow-up interview. They're only doing the interview on the news about the test.
The damage is done. And also they say, why does this always happen? I think that that's a challenge too. It's not happening to every single rider. It's happened. It's an IQ fail really on, on regards <laughs> of, like of an athlete who's the most supported, the most paid, the most yeah. endorsed by the best team. You know, and the given self- their experience with Bradley Wiggins and the infamous Jiffy Bag and his TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions, in the lead up to two tours and one Giro d'Italia, ironically, he didn't need them for other races throughout his very long career. Team Sky, you'd think they'd be better place to not make such a stupid mistake. And when you see how Team Sky operates on a daily basis, they are so well-oiled to make mistakes like this. It's almost... They have more resources than anybody else. Exactly. You know, and to make mistakes at that level, you go, how... Taking how... the medical out of it for you, Bridie, what was your gut instinct, your gut reaction? I think it's hubris on the part of of Froome and the team that they have become sort of so arrogant that they feel they're beyond or above the law. And if there's ever any glitch in any story, they sort of patronisingly deliver information to the media that say, don't worry yourselves about this. We've got this. We're fine. And, Macca, you commented on Froome's um, Twitter page. What had he said just a few days ago? Yeah, exactly. Um, And this is – it's interesting, isn't it? And all uh, the talk about it, he said, you know, Merry Christmas, final day of training camp. You know, along those lines, can't wait to get back to the family. He had 250 comments when I last checked. Uh, that was this morning. 50%, more or less, were like, you're the man, see you in 2018. And the other 50% along the lines of, who's carving up the roast, you or Lance? So he's got he's got his fair share of haters and his lovers no matter what happens. You know, everyone loves a villain, everybody – 50% love a villain, 50% hate a villain. So I don't think there's any fence-sitters on this nah, one. Nah, no, not at and all. And in terms of the way the process works from here, the last thing I want to see is a drawn-out case like we did with Alberto Contador. So Contador had his Clembuterol case, which was at the Tour de France, and then he raced for the next 18 months. He won the Giro. That eventually got stripped from him. And then he got given a two-year suspension, which was backdated to the test itself. So only had six months out of the sport, a whole bunch of races that he influenced the outcome of in a period where he should have been suspended. If Chris Froome is going to be suspended, I hope that he doesn't race until this case is cleared. It's not in his control how quickly this gets cleared. It's up to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, WADA, whoever it is, that governing body, to get this thing done quickly. And the lawyers will drag it out, but I want to hear your conspiracy theory. Uh, I've got another question before. The conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good pointing, but uh, not, not just yet. <laughs> um, you guys were at the Vuelta, okay? Uh, we said previously on this podcast that we thought Chris Froome was in such a better form at the Vuelta than he was at the Tour de France. Yet again, he's saying he was struggling to breathe. Did you see any hint of him struggling at the Vuelta? At no. All? No, he was stronger than he was at the Tour. And I spoke to him just recently, two weeks ago, when he was out here for La Tap Australia mm-hmm. by the Tour de France. And I asked him that exact question. You look to me as if you were stronger at the Vuelta than what you were at the Tour. And he said, yeah, the numbers indicate that I was stronger. I was a little bit heavier, but my data output was higher. Yeah, so he never well, mentioned. Doesn't add up, does it? On the day of the seventh, I mean, someone's published a fantastic graph of his watts per kilo for various climbs, and I mean, it, it is absolutely outstanding. And I know you mentioned Lance earlier. Back in that fantastic book written by Daniel Coyle, Lance Armstrong's War, they talked about Ferrari and Lance's training session, where we he knew if he could hit that six point four watts per kilo for one kilometer climb in the lead up to the tour, that all of his pharmacology was in the right place. <laughs> pharmacology. <laughs> I know that we like to use VAM and we like to use watts per kilo in comparing, and you can't always compare because conditions and those things affect speed. But the power output, the appearance, the confidence of the athlete don't seem to match this sort of anxious paranoia of respiratory distress that they're trying to paint this picture Mm. um, that he perceived in that day before. So, hang on. 
another medical question then for you. The performance benefits of it. Absolutely. If yeah, he doesn't that's what have I was asthma. Say. That's the obvious because question. Because to me, looking at it from as just Joe Punter, I don't see it as a game changer drug like EPO or human growth hormone or something like that. If you're not an asthmatic and you're taking it, is there any benefit? You will get a mild bronchodilatation anyway, so that's that sense of more open airways. Yeah. It's not going to give you the same feeling as wearing a Breathe Right or one of those nasal implants that he's had in the past because that actually allows more air in in a really nice, mechanical, mm. clean way. They're another topic, and I think they're <laughs> complete tish because when you're okay, full gas, Mr. you're breathing Our through your... record holder, you're, you let me know when you're... You're breathing <laughs> through your mouth when you're full gas, not through your nose. Anyway, so it's not a big... No, no, but if you're, if you're not an asthmatic and you use excessive salbutamol, you become jumpy, agitated, okay. um, mildly. Your CNS, your central nervous system, is stimulated and aroused. So there is a benefit. Absolutely, there's yeah. a benefit. And if we think about, you know, we might talk about one percenters. When we talk about grand tour winners, we want, we're talking about 0.1 percenters. And anything that gives Chris Froome, already the best cyclist in the world, a 0.1 percent advantage is a, is a benefit. Yeah, marginal gains yeah. is from Team Sky is becoming the equivalent of the Essendon Football Club at any cost. Ooh, <laughs> Whatever it takes. Oh, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Is it a masking agent? So there's no evidence that it is, but so many physiologists will talk about that fact and mm. they'll they'll say that it interferes with results from other tests or it, it might even block the ability to detect other substances. So it's long been thought of that particular um, Italian notorious Italian cyclists who have been banned for excess salbutamol were using it not only to stimulate central nervous system but to mask the presence of other agents. Are we about to find out uh, that uh, Chris Room is not human because we're going to have to look at his metabolism a bit closely <laughs> and then we're going to find out he's made from a different planet. Look, he is clearly an outlier across many regard. I mean, we only have to look at his physiognomy and the dedication or obsession that he takes with diet and weight control. You know, Wiggins delivered that as well and we're seeing now the real Wiggins in terms of his weight gain. Um, already that requires an extra type of obsessional behaviour that we don't always see in other athletes and perhaps when, when Port was riding in Sky and was very close friends with Froome, we saw Port's weight and his leanness absolutely reach its peak. Um, and in many ways, um, calorie restriction is the new doping. Your ability to commit to really um, restrictive eating behaviour in the lead up to a Grand Tour is sometimes the difference for a lot of those guys. But then you're at risk of injury, you're at risk of illness, and you're probably at risk of greater in respiratory distress. And at risk of eating 10 kilos of Toblerone if you crash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any other questions, Guy, in terms of the, the medical, no. medical standpoint? No. No. I Good to have a lot of that cleared up, particularly that mm. element of there is some benefit of using it if you're not an asthmatic. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I should say Dr. Brady O'Donnell when I introduce you. Thank you for providing. Great to be here. Thank you. Maka, you were asking about my, my conspiracy theory uh, while we say goodbye to, to Brady. Um, what do you make of this, you two? Froome and Sky came out earlier couple of weeks ago saying we are going to run the Giro, we are going to run the Tour de France. This is the target for 2018. But they knew. That's right. They must have known. Uh, they were told on the 20th it, of September. Yeah, they made absolutely. these announcements much yeah. later than that. Yeah. They knew. They knew. So but what do we make of this? Are, well, they, are they just went saying we want a good news story before this hits the fans? Is it almost a bit of arrogance? Or they were hoping that it would go away. Or, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's right. We weren't meant to know. The rest of the world went, weren't meant to know and they didn't think the rest of the world would know. Oh, either way, it just doesn't sit very comfortably with me that they were informed on the 20th of September and once it was coming out, once the UCI were going to release it, Team Sky went out with their press release 20 minutes before the UCI statement came out talking about transparency. If you wanted to talk about transparency, you're told on the 20th, tell us by the 25th. The fact that uh, UCI pretty much 
copped it with British Cycling on the Jiffy Bag story with Wiggins. How much this story will weigh in into the fact that maybe they will be even harder in finding no, it a defense? shouldn't. It should have zero impact. I, I on know the it shouldn't, way. but will it? N- no. It's a bit like in the court of law. They say, yeah. please exclude that evidence, but yeah. it's already been said. So it's, there's going to be something that will play on the minds of well, whoever shouldn't. makes so the So an decisions. umpire on a football field makes a wrong decision. They don't try and do, a, do one to try and make up for that team. You've got to take each case on its merits and let's hope that they're professional enough to deal with it independently okay i think we covered this uh, enough for for this podcast i'm sick of talking about it i'm <laughs> sick of talking about it no it's not your fault <laughs> i'm kidding it's the sport's fault i'm sick of talking about it in the sport and but we have to we're obliged to and it's a real shame absolutely we take a short break you're listening to the zwift cycling central podcast don't you dare go anywhere Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today. Uh, welcome back to the Zwift Cycling Central podcast to talk about the rest of the weeks of cycling. And yes, there was other news in uh, the, the world of cycling other than from uh, we welcome Wes Salzberger. I'm trying to say your name right this time. <laughs> Hi, Wes. Hi, thanks, Christophe. <laughs> I try not to Frenchize too much. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm used to it a little bit uh, back in the day with, uh, with FDJ. Mark was back uh, in the day in France, yeah. Yes, back in the day in France. <laughs> Did you love the introductions when you got the sign on from Daniel Monges? Yeah. Matt Nosse, <laughs> the grand champion Espoir to Australia avec la équipe FDJ, c'est Wesley uh, Salzberger. <laughs> that was it. You nailed that. Uh, Oh, I'm pick up. You were there. Yeah, I was there once or twice. Uh, there are other news, believe it or not, in uh, the world of cycling. Uh, Lance Armstrong has been invited at Flanders. Uh, what do we make of this? What do we make of it? What do we make of the statement by the race organiser at the Tour of Flanders saying that Lance Armstrong's one of the great champions of the sport? It really goes back to how a lot of people outside the sport perceive the culture of the sport. And it's a bad look for the sport when one of the biggest one-day races in the world is saying... Lance Armstrong's coming to our race because he's one of the great champions. Yet everybody outside of the sport of cycling sees Lance Armstrong as one of the great dope cheats of sport internationally. Lance Armstrong, if he's playing at a hall, doing a speaking circuit, telling his story, I'm interested. I want to go. I'm interested in what Lance Armstrong's got to say. He's but actually invited here if he wants to come. But if I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have him on a podcast and do an interview Absolutely. with him. I'm interested in the guy, but I'm not inviting him to a bike race that I organise. But I disagree. That, I, uh, I think uh, it's, it's done. It's, yeah. uh, his time's done. And to me, there's no difference whether it's a podcast or an event, speaking event in a hall. Or a bike to race. me, there is a difference. They've got they've got Grande Kahuna's to to come out and invite him I and mean, to be the first ones to do it. But I'd invite him. Would but, you call him a great champion? Uh, I don't know if I'd use those right words. And it's easy for those words to be captured and then broadcast around the world. So the, I think the race organizer may well have had second thoughts about the words that he used. I wouldn't have used those words exactly, but. I'd still invite him. Uh, I'm just going to relate to this to uh, Ulrich not being invited at the Tour de France start this year. Yeah. Uh, what, what do we make of this? Like, is, well, is it a different... Uh, remember that question? Well, firstly, the, the question was asked by our very own Mike Tomolaris to uh, the the grand poobah of the Tour de France, and he didn't take it nicely. Why was Jan Ulrich not invited? Because it was overlooked by, I think, every other news outlet 
Yep. From what we can understand. Yeah. But and they didn't like it. Yeah, but there's enormous hypocrisy in that. So ASO, who run the Tour de France, yeah. they don't invite Jan Ulrich to the start of the Tour de France in Germany because of his doping past, yet they've got people working for their organisation with doping convictions against their name. Absolutely. And the sport's in a really tough position in that regard because mm. if you try and have everybody that's now involved in the sport from that period throughout the particularly the 1990s with an absolutely squeaky clean record you've got club cyclists running the sport. Absolutely. It's not a good period for the sport. It's really dark. So it's a really hard one to deal with. Okay, let's talk about cycling and proper cycling. Where's Caleb Ewan will be at the Tour de France 2018. As the next rider, you rode the, the Tour de France. Uh, how, how does he feel? It's going to be oh, immense for him. It's it's amazing to ride down that Champs-Élysées. And like for, for Caleb, who, who you know, obviously is going to go in, not like I was, I was going in just hoping to finish. He's going to go in actually and win some stages, hopefully. What so. do you think of the course for him? Because I think that the 2017 course was much better for Caleb than 2018. That first yeah. week is really stressful through Brittany. Yeah, it is going to be really stressful through there. And obviously in that area too, the weather isn't always great too. So yeah, we're going to have some a uh, little bit of a... Challenge there for him, uh, and I do agree that last year's would have suited him better. Is it an early decision from the team? Well, it is an early decision, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it is an early decision. But what do you have make a look of at the that? calendar? It's an early decision. Yeah, yeah. What do you make of that? Um, I reckon coming out with that statement that he will ride. I mean, there's a lot of water between now and July. Uh, there is, but like, um, you know, obviously, it, it's something that's uh, that you know, they they feel important, and it's obviously a nice news story to start off this this year with. Um, he's always in great form for the start of the year for for nationals and things, so it's a nice leading story to sort of put the spotlight on him. And obviously, they want to go in fully supporting him. You put your athlete hat back on, Macca. Wouldn't you want to know this early so you can build your season around it? Well, I'd think that it's quite possibly been put in his contract and he would have negotiated that in and said if I'm re-signing I want to go to the Tour de France so they've said well let's make it let's make it official I've no doubt about that so good on him yeah (laughs) fantastic in terms of the team that they take there so at the moment it's only one of the Yates brothers who is going for memory it's Adam Yates that's Mm -hmm. doing the tour and Esteban and Simon Yates are doing the Giro and the Vuelta that's good news for Caleb Mm -hmm. Because if you had have taken all those guys to the tour, it's very much a GC team. Yeah. And now I would imagine that with eight riders on the team, they can have at least three specifically dedicated to Caleb. Because as good as Caleb is in his first Tour de France, he's not going to be able to go there on his own and fight for the wheels of the other lead-out trains. He's going to need a train. Yeah, definitely. You definitely need a train. needs that support there. So the structure um, of the team you know, for the Walter Enduro and then that, like you're saying, that, that input that they can have and have the right sort of combination for Caleb there is, is vital. So, What would it do to his confidence, and both of you can answer this, if he goes to the tour and gets a hiding? Uh, that's a good question, actually, because we both I all think three of us know him, yeah. know him on, on a personal level to mm. a degree and, and his mentality. Mm. All sprinters have got some confidence about them, and I, I agree. I think he's ready. Mm. I don't know what it'd do to his confidence. I don't think it'd stop him. He'll uh, just go, oh, well, it's a stepping stone. He'd look at yeah. the likes of Robbie McEwen back at the start of his career yeah. and compare himself to that. I, I don't think... Uh I don't think he'll get a hiding, but if he did get a hiding, it would be him running maybe just in the top tens and you know not not getting in that top three <laughs> yeah. in stages. You know, Caleb, how happy do you think Caleb's going to be with top ten? <laughs> oh, no, obviously, it's how got... happy do you think Caleb's going to be with second? Oh, That's gonna... what makes him special. Yeah, he's going to be pretty ropeable, but like at the same time, he has to reflect on that, which you would do at the end of the season. Go, okay, I, I wasn't up to that up to that benchmark, that scratch. But like you know, I, I think you know, I think he's going to have a good one anyway. But regardless of that. 
the team will have to sit back and that's what the team's there for to fall back on. If he does fall short, then they've got to regroup and restructure that ready for next year. The team should set up a formal relationship between Caleb and Robbie McEwen. Because Robbie is a guy with enormous resilience, and he mm. wasn't necessarily the fastest guy in the world. No, he's but a, he, he was the craftiest. He was, he was crafty, craftiest. He was the smartest, and yeah. he was the most desperate. Yeah. And it was—I think it was his 62nd stage at the Tour de France when he finally won one. And that perseverance mm. is going to be the key for somebody like Caleb mm. to make it. And Robbie would love to play that sort of role. I think. No, he wouldn't. Speaking, totally. you know, without having consulted it. on Robbie on the, on <laughs> no, the subject, of course. But, but we all know he'd be good at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On the long bring him in, yeah. Robbie. Yes, you're well. Yeah. You're up for helping Caleb. <laughs> he said yes. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> Any other news? There's been a really significant announcement overnight, and Gracie Alvin's been involved in this of a riders' union, specifically for women in the professional peloton. Absolutely, yes. And a big push on that is around media coverage. And when you look at the stories within the sport that engage people outside of the sport. So us, we're interested in power output and heart rates and wattage and somebody's threshold and all those sorts of things. I'm not. But, well, I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested. I think Wes, you'd be interested in seeing where... Yeah, you'd yeah. Because yeah. you're fairly recent. <laughs> yeah. But not many people are. Probably 2% of the population that have any interest in cycling are interested in that. But you look at some of the stories within women's cycling. We did the Shimano Supercrit on the weekend and we did the top 10 call-up, the best 10 athletes in both the men's race and the women's race. And in that top 10 call-up for the women's race, we had two doctors, two medical doctors, and then we had one dual junior world champion that picked up the microphone afterwards and went a cappella style and sung the national anthem good enough to be on one of the music contests in Australia. The talent within women's cycling and the interesting stories is phenomenal. And we have a responsibility in the media as well to tell those stories. Yeah, no, I agree. And I was just going to – I saw a picture. I wasn't there, but I saw a picture of – it was Macy. Macy, Macy you get who, online. Who did the national anthem? Get online. Get on Facebook and you have a listen yeah, to Macy wow. Stewart singing the national anthem. It's not the first time either, is no, it? No, she's, she's down, down in, down in Launceston yeah. Criterium. She was so also down I'm there. lobbying for her. She'll be riding the national championships in Buninyong. I want the national anthem to be played before the women's race and I want it to be Macy Stewart on the start line, kit, number on, a cappella, <laughs> national anthem, I love hand it. the microphone I back and then she races. <laughs> and then attack first kilometre. Go first lap straight up Buninyong. Because the lungs are open. Yeah. yeah. Shrap need any cell nah. mobile. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, Dave. And I hope Cycling Australia is listening. <laughs> no, that is a great one. That is Should we ring fantastic. Nick Green? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nick, Nick. Nick. Macy, Nationals, the anthem, lock it in. <laughs> Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure to have you in what uh, is going to be the last podcast of the year. Uh, oh, love so it's, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been plenty of... Uh, it's been a big year. Action. It's been a big year for, for cycling. It's been a big year for SBS. It's been a big year for me as well. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you, Micah. Thank you, Wes. And thank you, Matt, thank you. for My joining pleasure. me. In this podcast, I would like to say a big, big, big thank you to all our guests we had in the last six months. It's been an incredible year. Thank you also to all our listeners. Uh, we've been uh, discussing with you over the last six months, and I hope you enjoyed this new tone we are getting into the podcast. But right now, let me remind you that you can uh, download or stream this podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central, from our website, sbs.com.au slash central, or by scheduling a ride with our lovely friends at Zwift. All is there for me to say it's goodbye for now. I wish you a Merry Christmas if you're celebrating Christmas and Happy New Year because next time we'll be back will be in 2018.
18. If you're riding over the, the holiday, please stay safe on the road. If you're in a car or on cyclist, please remember that we are all humans and we are all sharing this planet together. Have a great break, have a great holiday, full with great rides. Bye for now. Zwift has group rides for all levels. With a ride approximately every 30 minutes, you can join a group and ride that fits your schedule and your level. Group rides stay together behind a leader. They enjoy friendly banter, a relaxed vibe, a little bit of fun and some friendly racing. Just like rides in the real world, except there's no worries about a rear wheel puncher slowing the group down or being left behind. Check it out for yourself at Zwift.com today.